You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we ask that you would make your Son present to us here this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Not many of you realize that we scheduled the all-parish retreat for this Sunday so that we wouldn't have to talk about this text. And too bad you guys are here, so at least one of us has to talk about it, and I drew the short straw, evidently. Now, we joke about that, but seriously, I do think or wonder if Luke, who gave us last week the parable of the prodigal son, the most famous of all parables, one of the most beloved of all parables. That's last week, and it's like we've reached this high point. I don't know what to do with this one parable, so I'm going to put it directly after. You're going to remember the parable of the prodigal son. This one, eh, we won't really remember it. But truly, this commentators say that this parable wins the prize for the most ignored of them all, and some have said it's been the most discarded of them all. If you were to go out and read 10 scholars' opinions on it, well, I did that, and I found that there are 12 opinions for every 10 scholars. And some of those scholars have real trouble with it. If you're familiar at all with Rudolf Bultmann, probably one of the most important of the 20th century biblical scholars, he said that this parable is incomprehensible. C.H. Dodd, a little more orthodox than Bultmann, Observe that even Luke seems clueless as to what to do with the parable. For if you notice, if you read those, or if you were paying attention to those last four verses, you'd see at least three interpretations at the end. Most serious of all, back in the fourth century, the emperor Julian, popularly known as Julian the Apostate, used this parable to assert the inferiority of the Christian faith and its founder. So why all this trouble? Why so many opinions? Why are so many people disconcerted? Well, to make sure that you were listening, and I had to say this at the 7.30, but I'll say this even more so now here at the 9, because Catherine read it, what, 15 minutes ago, so I don't even really remember what she read. We're going to take a look at it, not line by line, but we're going to make sure you understand what's happening in this text. If you would, turn to page six. Again, right after the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus says to the disciples, there's a rich man. The rich man has a manager. Charges were brought against him. He's wasting the rich man's money. So what does the rich man do? He calls in the manager and fires him. The manager, being a whole lot like me, who's not strong enough to dig and ashamed to beg, I said this in the Sunrise Sinners class, I said, I'm into chalices, not calluses, so I resonate with the manager quite a bit. What is he going to do? Well, he comes up with a scheme, and that scheme is to summon the master's debtors, ones who the manager had had dealings with, who they assume is acting on behalf of the master. And what does he do? What do you owe? A hundred measures of oil? Take your bill, 
Sit down, make it 50. It's half off time. The next person, what do you owe? 100 measures of wheat. Take your bill, write 80. I'd prefer the 50% off to the 20% off, but that's not really the point of this text. Where this text gets weird, downright weird, and we can call it that, is right after this, the master, who had just fired the manager, commends this dishonest manager for his shrewdness. In the King James Version, for his prudence. For the sons of this world are more shrewd or prude in dealing with their own generations. Prudent, not prude, sorry. In dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And then these next four verses, which seem to contradict what has gone before, are tacked on. It becomes an issue of being faithful with what you have. Finally, Luke, one of his favorite topics, says you cannot serve God and wealth. God and mammon. What's going on here? What is the point of this text? Well, again, scholars are very, very, very divided. So what I would do is encourage you to, after the sermon, go home and take a look at this. I think actually texts like this are great because parable of the prodigal son, we already know the answer. We know where it's going. This is the type of parable that we don't know well or we don't know what to do with, and it might just be able to speak to us a fresh word. I'm going to give you two interpretations before I give you the right one, which is mine. (laughs) Some of you have probably heard of the biblical scholar Kenneth Bailey. He's a Presbyterian minister and scholar who lived out in the Middle East, who lived with Bedouins. And he says that he has some insights into this parable because where he's living in the Middle East with the Bedouins, that culture is not all that different than the culture to whom Jesus spoke to. He points out to note that the manager is fired by the rich man, but the manager is not punished. He's not required to pay back what he squandered. And if he weren't able to pay that back, well, he'd be thrown into jail. So Bailey is saying that the rich man, who does want obedience, is also a man of mercy. He has shown to this dishonest manager mercy by not throwing him in prison. Bailey goes on to say that the manager sees this, sees that the rich man is serious, He doesn't want to be taken advantage of, but he's also merciful. So what does the manager do? What's his plan? Well, according to Bailey, it's to risk everything on the quality of mercy he has already experienced from his master. Did you hear that? He sees that the master, the rich man, is merciful, so he is going to risk everything on that. If he fails... Surely he's going to jail this time. If he succeeds, not only is he a hero in the community, but he's made the master, the rich man, 
look glorious because in this culture to be considered generous is the highest compliment of all. So how does it play out? No one as yet knows that the master manager has been fired. We see that when the managers take your bill quickly and write this. Luke's a good storyteller. Jesus is a good storyteller. The manager tells them, he calls them in one by one, and the debtors assume that this bill changing is legitimate. An order from the master carried out by the manager. They're delighted. This is too good to be true. The rich man, he is a great, generous man. When the master realizes what's happened, he has two choices. He can go back to the debtors and tell them it was all a mistake, essentially destroying this notion that he's a generous person, or he can say nothing. He can accept the praise and let the manager rascal that he is enjoy his popularity because, in fact, he's been given the best gift of all in this society. He is the generous master. I think it's a pretty interesting interpretation. I'm not sure I buy it, but it is in line with the rest of the biblical witness. This master, namely God himself, who is generous beyond measure. The second interpretation, and this will be very quick, which I think is just as valid, because again, the focus really is on the manager who is commended for being shrewd or prudent. What some interpreters say is that this is faith at a complex time. This is faith that you and I have in the time between times. Jesus' first coming and his second. We live in an age where the powers of sin and death are running their muck. And though you and I throughout the scriptures are oftentimes called to be holy, to be set apart, to not interact with the world and all of its fleshliness, there are also passages that talk about how we need to be in the public sphere. If we're not in the public sphere, a voice for peace will be absent. These commentators say that the two options that we think we have, accommodation or resistance, is clarified here by saying there's also a way forward of negotiation. Negotiation in this time between times where we have to get involved with the muck. We have to be like the children of this world and be shrewd to be prudent. I also find there to be grains of truth in that interpretation. It reminds me a lot of Bonhoeffer, right? And what do you do when Hitler is there? Do we not throw the stick in the spoke of the wheel? But Luke, as if worrying that we will take these interpretations too far, that you'll forget all the calls to be set apart, to be holy, then he adds other of Jesus' sayings. 
Be faithful with what you have. If you turn this text into be shrewd and get as much money as you desire, well, don't forget, you cannot serve both God and mammon. And I don't know about you, but I serve money a whole lot more than I serve God. What I think is happening in this text, again, take it home, read a few commentators, read it for yourself. What I think Jesus is doing here is uber provocative. Jesus, the friend of sinners, the one who associates with the lowly, the one who was called a drunkard, the one associated with dishonesty, is putting himself in the place of the manager. When we think of justice and fairness, so oftentimes we don't think of it the way the Bible often does. We think of justice and fairness as the weighing of scales. Good and bad, good better outweigh the bad. What I believe that Jesus is doing here is he's essentially saying what I have come to do is not that. What I have come to do is to slash debts, to forgive sins. What looks like dishonesty, what looks like a scandal and was a scandal to the very Pharisees he was talking about or talking to in the parable before this one, it's scandalizing them more and more. It scandalizes you and me. This manager is not one who takes account. This master, this Lord, is the one who is merciful, who slashes our debts and forgives our sins. It's too good to be true, and that's why it scandalizes us. But it is the gospel, and it's why we show up week in and week out, because you and I are the dishonest manager. You and I, is there anyone in this room who has not cut corners, who has not in a bind, and especially in the bind, found any way possible to survive? We serve the one who is merciful. So take Luke's interpretations. You cannot serve God and money. Whatever it means, make friends by means of dishonest wealth. Whoever is faithful in a little will be faithful in much. I'm not very good at any of those things. I want to be. And that's what the Holy Spirit is eliciting in me. But thanks be to God that this Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, is one who doesn't weigh the scales. He slashes debts. He forgives sins. And he creates righteousness out of nothing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.